smartphone. This is Burns FM News. You're listening to Scottish Radio News. I'm Chloe Gardiner and I'm here with your news updates. A man who was mauled by a dangerously out-of-control dog before it was shot dead by police has been reported to prosecutors. Armed officers were called to the Tinto View area of Hamilton at 5pm on Tuesday following reports of a large bulldog-type dog attacking people. Emergency services attended and a 48-year-old man was taken to the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital for treatment to serious injuries. The man, who has since been discharged, has been reported as a Procurator Fiscal in connection with the incident Police Scotland confirmed on Friday. Michelle Moan and her husband have reportedly had £75 million worth of assets frozen by court order, including nine properties in Glasgow. The former Tory peer and Doug Barrowman are facing an investigation by the National Crime Agency over suspected criminal offences and the procurement of PPE contracts during the Covid pandemic. PPE MedPro, a company owned by Barrowman, is being probed after it was awarded more than £200 million in contracts to supply PPE to the NHS after Moan recommended it through the UK government's VIP lane in 2020. The firm is also being sued by the UK's Department for Health and Social Care. Renewables have provided more than enough electricity to meet Scotland's needs for the first time, according to figures. Data from the Scottish Government shows that in 2022, the equivalent of 113% of Scotland's gross electricity consumption was generated from green power sources, such as wind and hydro. This was up 26 percentage points from the previous year. It came as electricity consumption in Scotland fell by 4% to 22,040 gigawatt hours. Energy Secretary Neil Gray welcomed the significant milestone for Scotland's renewable sector. He added the government's aim is for the country to produce enough from renewables for its own needs and be able to supply electricity to other nations. A charity supporting Scottish veterans has received £2,000 from the Flight Path Fund. The organisation in question, I Was Gonna, is known for its work with veterans and has announced plans to put the generous funding towards the music experience sessions for ex-service personnel. These sessions are for resident veterans living at Erskine Village, a care home specifically designed for former members of the armed forces. Residents get the opportunity to share their life stories, all while creating and producing music under the guidance of professional musicians. The project is primarily aimed at improving the well-being, social connection and the self-expression of the veterans through the universal language of music. And that's all from me. I'm Chloe Gardner and you've been listening to Scottish Radio News. If you're out and about today, remember to bring a jacket or wrap up warm. Mearns FM weather with Ace Competitions. This is today's weather on Mearns FM. Today will be largely dry with bright spells and wind with a maximum temperature of 10 degrees Celsius. Mearns FM weather with Ace Competitions. Head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram for more information. Mearns FM Weekend, sponsored by Ace Competitions. Win life-changing prizes, cars, cash, luxury holidays and more with Ace Competitions. Starting at just 25 pence an entry, we have something for everyone. Ace prizes, Ace prices, Ace odds. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or enter online now at www.acecompetitions.co.uk. All participants must be 18 years or over. Be gambleaware.co.uk.
Welcome to this worship service provided by Abuthnut, Bervey and Kniff Church. If you would like to find out more about us or support us in our ministry, then you can search for us online, on Facebook and on YouTube by searching for ABK Church. We pray that this service will be a blessing to you. gladly gather together in God's presence and before we sing our opening song and we read some words from Psalm 36. David writes, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among people find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And so we come to worship that God as we sing our opening praise. The words will be on the screen. Come, now is the time to worship.
pray. Gracious Father, in response to your immeasurable love, we come here today and lay our lives before you. As we step into this new day, your day, the Lord's day, we come with hearts full of gratitude, love and praise. We thank you for your endless kindness, for your love that's been incessantly poured out upon us, for you're the God of our endless and unstoppable love. Lord, we thank you for each and every one here, from the youngest to the oldest, for those who will be watching and listening at later times. We thank you for each and every one of us, whether we've known you for decades or whether we've yet to begin that journey. We thank you that you love us, each with an irrepressible and unstoppable love. And Lord, even though you love us, we recognise that so often we've failed you. A thousand times we've failed you. No, a million times we've failed you. So often our hearts are filled with pride or jealousy, our lips prone to lies or harsh words. Our actions display greed and selfishness all too often. And Lord, when we recognise that, we also remember that that means that we're separate from you. But yet, that's not the case. Because you shower us with kindness and grace. Where there once was separation, now we find adopted and treasured. When a moment we feared your anger, but now we get your joy and delight. We thought we had to earn your love, but now you give us it free and completely through Jesus. Such love, perfect love, complete love. A million times thank you. So Lord, might you bless us and encourage us. Might you help us to know your deep and abiding love here in this place as we worship you together as the people of Jesus. And it's in his name and his words we gather up our prayers. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever.
from 1 John 4 and then from Romans chapter 12. Again, the words will be on the screen behind me. Okay, it's the first time that I do it from an iPad, so hopefully this will work, and this means I can also not tell you where in the pew Bibles you will find this, because it's on the screen, <laughs> but you don't have any pews in front of you anyway, so... so. <laughs> no, that's just my way of introducing um, reading. Um, so both of, both of the readings are from the New Testament. Uh, the first one is uh, 1 John 
chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. And as you will hear, it will fit in very well with what Andrew already said as well. God's love and ours. Um, dear friends, let us love another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So the second reading is from the letter to the Romans, um, chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. Love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. As I said, uh, readings um, are both about love, and we're mainly going to be focusing on that first one from First John chapter four, where um, John speaks about um, God being loving and how we are to love each other. Then that little bit from Romans twelve is just part of a much larger passage that speaks of what that love looked like in action to show hospitality, to care for one another, and so on. But we're largely going to focus on First John chapter 4 this morning. And as I say, John is at pains to say two things in this passage. First, that the living God is a God of love. And secondly, those of us who know God's love are to love each other. We'll take those two points in turn, but so firstly, that God is a God of love. Now, just hearing that, um, those verses, the first time you've ever heard them, you can see and hear very clearly that John keeps on saying that love comes from God, that God is love. Just in those verses we read, he says in verse 7, love is from God. In verse 8, God is love. In verse 9 and 10, he says, this is how the love of God was shown to us. In verse 11, God loves us. In verse 12, his love abides in us. In verse 16, God has love for us, that God is love. Verse 19, he first loved us. In fact, the book of First John, time and time again, is a crescendo of talking about how God is loving. And, and throughout all the chapters, he speaks a little bit about love, but particularly in verses um, chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talks about this love for God and love for each other. If you're a preacher like me and you're going through the whole book of First John and you're doing a little bit each Sunday, by the time you get to chapter 4, you've ran out of all your illustrations on how to talk about love because he talks about it so much. In our culture, in the secular world, we're awash, though, with the word love. In a month's time, just to let anyone know, in case you've forgotten, on February 14th, it'll be Valentine's Day, in case you need to go and get stuff. But that, with all that kind of time, the word love will be adorning every card. 
and every shop window will be filled with red roses and heart-shaped boxes of chocolates. But in our world, the word love has so often lost all kinds of meaning. So when you say the word love, so often you mean it in a kind of way of saying, I love you because you are lovely. So for instance, a young guy meets a young, beautiful girl and he falls in love with her because she is lovely. It's easy to love her. She's attractive, she's beautiful, she's fun, she's vibrant. But the question is that when they get much older, when her youthful looks fade and she um, is no longer the attractive 19 or 20 year old that she once was, when the butterflies of the dating years have long since passed, will he still love her then? Will he still love her when she's broken by poor health and he's got to care for her all the time? Will he still love her when she gambles all of their savings away? It's easy to love when things are lovely. But what about when things are not so lovely? Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century preacher, evangelist and theologian, <coughs> differentiated, differentiated between these two things. And he calls it, in his language, the love of complacency and the love of benevolence. So the love of complacency would be the kind of way that in which I would say, I love pizza. <coughs> that's, that's to say that I love pizza because it is a lovely thing. I find myself pleased by the qualities in it. It's yummy, it's tasty, it's easy to make and all the rest. I also love going into the countryside for a walk. I find myself enjoying the scenery. It's pleasing to my senses. When I move, the endorphins are released into my bloodstream and I find myself enjoying it. If I'm with Kirsty and the boys and the dog, then I have the chance to spend time with them. I love going for a walk with them. I love these things and other things because they're lovely to me. They please me. It's easy to love them. But Jonathan Edwards says that's the love of complacency, an easy thing to love. But it's also the love of benevolence, where it's not based on how lovely something is, but rather your goodwill. That you want to love it even when it's not always beautiful. And in that kind of love, you aim to find the good. You dig down deep to find the beautiful thing beyond the unlovely thing to find the beautiful thing. You're committed to love even when it's not easy to love. So for many of you, you got married and you used the traditional Church of England vows and you might, and in part of those vows it says for better, for worse, for rich, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Now when you get married, usually you're in the kind of your prime of your life, your 20s or 30s and you've got your good health. And you've got perhaps money. You're paying for a wedding after all. You've got um, all the good things of life. Things are good. You're happy. You're getting married. And so it's easy to say, I will love you for the better. But what about for the worse? It's easy to love in the rich times. But what about when you're poor? It's easy to love in health. But what about when sickness is all that you've been given? And that's what Jonathan Edwards calls the love of benevolence. I will love you even when it's unlovely, when it's difficult to love. I kind of use this joke when I'm marrying couples that today you're promising to love them, not just today when it's easy to love and you're all dressed up and you look beautiful and, and smart and whatever else, but you're also promising to love when the husband leaves the toilet seat up, when you've both got morning breath and you face each other in the morning, you wake up, you know, it's all you can smell and all the rest of life that's much more challenging. It's easy to love when it's easy. It's difficult to love when it's difficult. But I want you to know that God loves you in this benevolent way. God's love is celebrated by Christians because it transforms lives 
and in such a way because it is so benevolent towards us. And what do I mean by that? Well, first, God's love is great because of the unloveliness of who receives his love. God doesn't love the lovely people. He loves the least deserving and thus his love is greater. In Romans 5, we read that while we were still weak, at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God, different from all of that, shows his love in that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. So that's the first measure of how big God's love is. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us do deserve it. But yet we receive his love and that's why it's great and huge. Secondly, God's love is great because of the greatness of the price he paid. Occasionally you'll hear the sacrifices people make in order to love someone. I know folk who've moved continent, far from their family, their hometown, etc., to be with a new spouse, a new partner. Others will give up their job that they love in order to compassionately care full-time for a child, a family member, who's in a life-debilitating condition. I love my job, but I'll give it up in order to care for this child, this family member, who's in need. And God's love is so great, he gave a great sacrifice for it. John 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down their life for their friends. And so the love that I receive from God is not just great because I don't deserve it, but it's also great because Jesus, the Son of God, was given for me. Thirdly, God's love is great because of how generous God has been towards us. Think of what you get because of God's love. It's no small thing. In John 3, the famous Bible verse in verse 16, it's called everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but instead they will have a nice gift from the corner shop. No, everlasting life. Jesus describes what eternal life is. It's to know God and to know him. To know when you're loved, or sorry, you know when you're loved, when someone goes all out to do something for you. When they spend lots of money or time or effort on you. They don't just go and buy you something from the corner shop, but they go and spend time and energy thinking about what will I give them? What will show that I really appreciate them and that I love them most? But God's gift to us isn't some item from a store. He gave us the greatest possible gift himself. He could have given us a whole country to rule over. But he says, no, I give you my whole self. I made every country. I made the whole universe and I give you all of me. The greatest possible love gives his greatest gift. And fourthly, God's love is great because it's done with joy and delight even towards the unlovely and undeserving. Our love, if we're really honest, is often done begrudgingly. Or at least not done with a full-throated joy. And I know that's the case because I bet none of you, when your spouse or your family member says, can you do dishes, none of you go, yay! None of you do that. I certainly don't. I love my wife, and I love to look after her house, but I don't always love doing the dishes or everything else. But not so with God. He loves you, and he loves to love you. How much does God love you? With all of his heart. Zephaniah 3 says, The love, uh, sorry, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God sings and rejoices that he gets to love you. And you can think of the same kind of story in the parable of the prodigal son, that famous story that Jesus tells, describing God's love, where a guy, maybe a bit younger than me, says to his dad, I hate you, I don't want you, I want your money. Give me it all, please. He runs away, spends it all frivolously and stupidly, and he thinks, if I go home to dad, I'll be put in the pit and I have to live in the barn, never have any love from dad. But it's best in the life I've got now because I've spent all my money. So he goes home thinking he'll just get a rollicking from his dad. But instead he sees his dad running towards him in an embarrassing way. And his dad hugs him with the best hug he's ever received. He puts the most expensive ring on his hand, the most expensive robes on his shoulders, gives him shoes and he throws a party, killing their best animal in order to celebrate. You've come home. I love you. And Jesus says that's what God's love is for you. Not for good Christians, but for you and good Christians, for all of us. In other words, God is totally into saving you and loving you. Nobody twists God's arm. God doesn't begrudgingly love you. Even though you've sinned against him a million times over, he doesn't go, oh, I've got to love them for goodness sake. He says, I love to love them. I love to love you. And he wants to give you all of his goodness and his love forever, for all of eternity. So the most beautiful love in the world is this love that's paid the highest price, the life of the Son of God, for completely undeserving enemies. And he loves to give us his presence. And he loves to do it all. It's almost too great to comprehend the immensity of God's love. I'll be preaching it um, good this afternoon and I'll be speaking on Ephesians 3 where Paul prays and he says, I long that all of you would know how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God. You all think it's this big. I wish you could see how big and how tall and how wonderful God's love is for you. And if you know nothing else from today, know that. That the almighty God of creation, the all-sufficient, all-wise King of kings, lavishly loves you. If you could get out every thesaurus, every dictionary in the English language, and try and describe his love, you would still fall short. It's incalculable how, un, how lovely and how loving he is. And you might think, but Andrew, you don't know what I've been like, what I've done. That's fine, I don't know. But even in your worst moments, when your sinfulness has been all-consuming, when you've been ashamed of all that you are and all that you've done, the good shepherd, the fount of grace, says, I love you beyond measure. Isn't that staggering? That God would love you. Even if you've cheated on your spouse. Even if you've done the worst thing that you could think you would never do. Even if you have gambled all of your life savings away. Even if you've done a hundred other things. God says, I love you. I hope you're captivated by the beauty and the wonder of God's love for you. That's what John wants for you. That's what I want for you. But as I said at the beginning, John wants us to respond to God's love that immense love, by loving others. But how do the two things connect? Okay, fine, God loves me, but so what? Why does that mean I must love other people? And how do I love other people? Well, in order... Next slide. In order to love others best, you must love God most. In order to love others best, you must love God most. 
In other words, the way that you love your spouse, your family, your friends, your church family, whoever it might be best, is that you love God the most. Now that might sound like preposterous gobbledygook, especially if you're not a Christian here today. Perhaps for some of us who do know Jesus, you can understand that. Because when God changes your heart, you can't do anything but let that love spill over and transform the lives of other people too. When you know the depth of God's love and how deep it is for you, you're filled with a joy that God loves you in such a way and your life has changed. And the reason that you will love others best when you put God first and love him most is because God is love. And you were made to love God and love others in the way that God has first loved you. So when your heart is programmed into loving God most, then God's love will fill you up. It will overflow and spill into all of the rest of your life. So as a, as a um, real life example, I, I know that when I love God most, when I'm at those times in my life where I find my heart soaring with thanksgiving, tears in my eyes as I think about how much God loves me, I love my wife most, I love my kids most, I love all of you, I love strangers best. But when my faith is ebbing, when my love for God is shallow, my love towards others is minimised. I still love Kirsty and the boys and all of you, but I don't love them and you as much as I should. I have less passion to pour out my life to serve because I haven't been drinking from God's love. When you follow Jesus, or sorry, when you follow what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength, the second commandment, to love your neighbours yourself, will naturally follow. John calls us to love others, as the Bible calls us to time and time again, but to love other people best, love God most. So how do we love each other? Jesus takes hold of our hearts, and as our love for him grows, as I say, our hearts will be filled with thanksgiving to God. Who is God? What a God you are that you've given me a saviour. And you'll want to praise God and give him thanksgiving for all that he's done for you. Now God loves the church. And I don't mean that building next door and I don't mean the charitable body called the church. I mean the people of God, you and me. God loves all of you. He loves all of us. And he wants to live within each and every one of us in causing us to love each other more. Now when you live with someone, you begin to take on their characteristics. Some of you will know that you've got and characteristics from parents perhaps or your family members that you live alongside it's Burns Night this coming week and I'm hoping that my wife as English as she is will one day out of love for me love bagpipes, haggis and learn <laughs> and learn to say loch properly <laughs> but that's what you do when you live with someone when you love someone you begin to like the things you like begin to take on their characteristics I should say she bought me a haggis, even if she does, would not want it at all. But if you can do that with those that you live alongside, that you love imperfectly in this life, how much more will it be for our relationship with God? Because God does not live alongside us, sharing the same house or in the same family unit, but God lives inside of us, moulding us and shaping us, he says. So I want to close a few way, with a few ways in which God's love for us changes us and how we can love other people. Firstly, God calls the church to love one another universally. The church is made up of people, 
of a family. I said earlier about the boys and girls having you as brothers and sisters, even though some of you are in your 70s or 80s, those kids are your brothers and sisters. And he adopts every Christian into his family. So, so together we are children of Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And none of you, none of the church family, have earned God's love. We don't deserve God's love, and yet we're equally treasured because of God's love. And so if God loves a person sitting next to you or behind you, or the other church family who are not here today, not because they earned it, but because he loves them, and he did, that, did the same with you, then you and I must love them. And so that means that we love each other even when they're different to us, when we're at different stages of life, when we're from different cultural backgrounds, even if we have nothing in common, even if their personality annoys you, even if they sin against you. The church family is composed of brothers and sisters in Christ. God loves them universally, and so must you and I. Can I be honest as a pastor? Sometimes some of you are difficult to love. I love you, but some of you are difficult to love. And I know that I'll be difficult to love at times too. But that's what family is. Sometimes family is made up of difficult people who say, I will choose to love you, even when you do things that make the rest of us roll our eyes, whatever else it might be. We choose to forgive, we choose to love, we choose to say, I put you first, even when sometimes we're not always easy to love. And there'll be people right now that you know, I don't get on with them very well at church, or they're not here today and you're like, oh, I'm so glad because I don't get on with them. But we're called to love them. We're called to love each other. They don't deserve God's love, nor do you. But together we get to love them. And how do we love each other? Well, we do so practically. Love for each other cannot be an abstract thing, but a practical thing. It's a concrete and specific love that's put into practice. God says, love one another. And when you love one another, it's not a thing that you can just go, oh, I love them, but I have no relationship with them. God asks you to love each other in a practical way. Now, in the Bible, there are over 90 times that the phrase one another is used, in, order, in other words, to say, love one another, or do this for one another, etc. I'll not read all of them, but I'm going to read a, a, a chunk of them. And when I read them, I want you to ask yourself, ask God, how can I put them into practice for those around me today? How can I love them and do this loving thing to each other here today? So 16 times we see the phrase love one another. And this is how it's spelled out. Be devoted to one another. Honour one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another, even those who are difficult to love. Accept one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear each other's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient to each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of each other. Comfort each other. I looked at this last week about stirring up each other into doing good things for God and for the world. Show hospitality to each other. Use the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of each other. Clothe yourselves with humility towards each other and pray for each other. How are you doing with those things? And the Bible also says some things not to do. Do not lie to each other. Do not judge each other. Do not slander each other. Do not grumble against each other. God calls us to do these things. Not suggestions, not a case of if you've got time in your diary, try and love each other. He says, no, love each other. 
And last week I called us to be committed to a smaller togetherness. Because at our church we're launching a series of smaller groups on top of our one or two that we have at the moment. And we want these smaller networks and these smaller groups to be places where these one another passages can be lived out in love. So for instance, you might be thinking, okay, I'm good at loving each other. But how much are you sharing the burdens of those around you this morning? If you don't know the person sitting next to you, how can you share their burdens? Or how can you show hospitality to them if, well, you only meet together on a Sunday, you face the minister, then you go home and you never speak to them? How can you pray for the person next to you? Of course you could pray generally, but do you know what's going on in their life? How can you pray for them? How can you look to the interests of one another if all you do is to sit next to them for an hour or so and then you head home? So together on Sunday mornings is a great time to gather together and we should do so. But we'll find it difficult to do all of these one another things if all we do is face a preacher and sing some songs in each other's company. So that's why as a church we're calling all of us into some form of small togetherness. Because when we gather together in groups of six or seven or eight people perhaps, we can be open and honest. We can say, I'm struggling. And they can pray for you. And you can pray for each other either out loud or in the quiet of your heart you can get to know each other and say oh I didn't know that you're ill or that your child is struggling with life or this that or the other thing you can share burdens, you can show compassion and so what we're doing is um, starting um, in a couple of weeks time or next week I'll be preaching and beginning a series for five weeks thinking about what it is to be a follower of Jesus then in the following week we'll gather together if we can in smaller groups throughout the week but we'll look at that a little bit together, but also just get to know each other. The large part of it is just getting to know each other, having some cakes or coffee, whatever else it might be, getting to know each other. If you feel comfortable praying for each other, or if not, the group leader can do that for you. And so there's times on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 o'clock, and Thursdays at 1 o'clock. They'll be here or in people's houses. And if none of those times work, still write down there's a, a, a sign-up sheet on your way out, Write down your details and we'll find another time that might work for you with some other folk too. And you might think, but I'm a seasoned Christian, I know all my stuff. Great, but these times are for you. If you're a Christian but you don't want to join because you're worried, someone's going to force you to pray out loud or read the Bible or say something about the Bible that you don't understand, that's okay. They won't do that. You can be silent the whole time if you wish to and just listen along. These groups are for you. Maybe you're still on the fence. You have no idea about Jesus or the Bible or Christian, the Christian faith. If that's you, there's a place for you in these groups as well. As I say, if your commitment to the church, the building of relationships with your brothers and sisters is limited to Sunday worship, as good as that is, I think it's like only having the potatoes on your plate, but everyone else at the family meal having some other stuff, some more veg or some meat or whatever else it might be. The potatoes are great, but that's not your whole meal. You want some other stuff is to enjoy your whole meal. And Sunday worship is one part of it, but not the whole thing. And think about it. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed a small group for encouragement, support, and prayer and community, then surely you and I need them. That's partially why he gathered together with his friends. He says in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's about to go and be crucified, he says, friends, will you pray for me? And he sends them off to go and pray. Now, they don't do a very good job of praying for them. But he says, I need you to do that for me. I could do it. I'm God after all, but I need you to help me. 
I want you to follow or to be friends with me and show your friendship and your love for me in doing this. I said last week that your faith and my faith is a community effort. Just because I'm a minister and I've went to theology school doesn't mean I know everything and I get things right. I need you to help me to follow Jesus better. And you need me and everyone else to help you follow Jesus better. In the Bible, you don't ever see a Christian by themselves and stuck by themselves forever. They're always found in community with each other. Even Paul in prison writes to his church family and says, you're my family and I pray for you and thank you for praying for me. So as we gather on Sundays and throughout the week, we get to worship our King who's loved us with an irrescribable, irrepressible love. And we get to live a life of love with each other. So let's love our God and love each other well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your indescribable and unquenchable love for us. That even in the depths of the darkness of life, you still love us. Even when we've failed you a million times, you still love us. And we ask God that you would put within our hearts and our minds a desire to love each other better. And to find ways in which we can love each other better. To put into practice these one another passages. To care for each other. Pray for each other. To show tenderness to each other and all the rest. Help us to love. To love you most. In order to love others best. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing about the, God's love for us. And then after that, Caroline is going to lead us in prayer.
Heavenly and loving Father, as we come to you, we think of the words of Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We thank you that you have a place for each one of us, that you love each one of us unconditionally. Many of our congregation are affected by illness, chronic conditions, are hurt by an accident, and by grief. Lord, you are our refuge and our fortress, and we pray that you will give healing and comfort. Gracious God, we thank you for the communities that we live and work in. We thank you for the gift of this church family, Thank you for all the children that come to Kingdom Kids and to the Scripture Union Group. Bless them and encourage them as they learn to trust you. Be with the leaders, give them wisdom and understanding as they nurture these young people. We pray for our Minister Andrew and his family. We thank you for them and for your blessing on them. All-powerful God, we thank you that you, we can freely worship together and we bring to you those Christians who cannot meet freely. We pray for their safety and that their faith may be strengthened. Jesus, please give them your peace. We pray that your Holy Spirit will inspire leaders and governments to give freedoms to all Christians. And turning further to our world, Lord of creation, we pray for God's glory to shine into the dark places that there would be an end to war with just and fair settlement. And Jesus, we pray for ourselves. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you today, tomorrow, and through the coming week. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. 
So go to love God and to love others and may the blessing of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, what a scene.